Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Parenthood. We're so often consumed with the job of delivering our babies safely into this world that we forget about the after. And then we're so consumed with our babies that we don't think about ourselves. We focus so hard on nurturing our little ones that we forget that we have to recover from the strain of pregnancy, from the gargantuan job of creating a whole new human being from a cluster of cells and from labour. My guest today is the postnatal exercise and recovery specialist, Lyndon Littlefair. Having spent the last three decades supporting women after the birth of their babies, he believes that there's a crucial element we often overlook. There's a great deal of stress, he says, both physically and emotionally, placed on a woman's body throughout the whole pregnancy and labour process. Sometimes we need to reduce this level of stress in order for the body to fully recover and build up from there. Thank you for joining me today, Lyndon. It's great to have you on The Parenthood. It's interesting what you say. Um, We often associate the words sort of exhausted, overwhelmed, emotional with the postnatal period, but not often stress uh, and the idea that women are on maternity leave this idea that they could be stressed is quite alien to some why are new mums stressed um i think in terms of stress sometimes we look at stress in terms of go oh it's just stressed in terms of can't do something or something's very challenging i think uh, the whole process is a quite a stressful um, element on the body so there's a lot of physiological stress in the body there's a lot of emotional stress in the body so there's just a lot of things where the body's going, wow, I'm just overloaded. Overloaded is probably the best word to use. And it's not just emotional stuff. It's, no, there's a lot of physiological processes going through um, through pregnancy and going through labour and going through birth and delivery. And then especially for first-time mums getting the baby home and going, wow, what now? What now? So lots of individual things can can cause a stress response in the body not just the typical sort of you know you know something happens to you or something gets stressed it's like just um lots of lots of individual things add up to form this stress loading on the body well and i think we sort of often don't really think about you know how physical having a baby is you know because you don't really see any evidence of the pregnancy for the first I don't know 15 weeks or so you sort of think oh they're fine they're fine to do everything that they used to but actually if you think about what the body is doing when you're gestating a baby that's the most physically exhausting thing you can possibly do is grow a whole new human being plus you're growing an organ like the placenta is a whole new organ you're growing just to nourish the baby while it's inside you no, exactly. There's, there's a huge amount of, um, first of all, physical changes, let alone hormonal changes, let alone 
um, emotional changes the body's going through. And you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things which can be done which help out. But literally, the whole the whole stress thing is is huge. It's huge changes, and it takes everyone thinks is focused on the pregnancy and the birth, and they they, they everyone forgets about the, the post birth sort of period. And this is a, this is why I specialize in this area because there's, there's so much help to be needed. Um, so many mums need the help for this. Um, so in terms of stress on the body, absolutely huge, absolutely huge. Um, and then emotionally too. I mean, I think that there's a lot of pressure on women to deliver a baby safely you know there's that connection you have with the baby there's that responsibility that is your body and what you eat and drink and how you behave and the kind of dangers you may be exposing yourself to I remember thinking freaking out because I'd eaten tara masalata when I was like six weeks pregnant and I was like oh, is it okay would I have I done something to the baby and I remember like a whole day of this stress of like have I done something really serious to this vulnerable baby and women are kind of experiencing this on a daily basis you breathe in cigarette smoke or you breathe in exhaust fumes or you catch a cold and you have to take some some medicine or you become ill and you have to take some medicine there's that tremendous guilt and I think that all builds up to that kind of emotional uh, burden of being res- totally responsible for the child that's growing inside you yeah no definitely there's um there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of unknown and those two factors combined together to go to you know completely stress out um you know pregnant mums and new mums there's so many fear so Everyone's got a different opinion and everyone's got an opinion about what's right, what's wrong for the baby. There's so much pressure from social media, the media, celebrities, everything in terms of you must do it this way and they must do it this way and this is the best way to do it. So well, all this pressure adds up and everyone gets um, into a state of confusion saying, well, what's the best way? And I think the best way is whatever works for, for the mum, the family and the parents, etc. So there's this huge amounts of stress. We've talked sure. about this notion of the overflow of the overflowing cup that we are, you know, programmed to be able to deal with sort of small bouts of stress or stress on an individual basis. But when you've almost got like the perfect storm of stress in the postnatal period, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the overflowing, overflowing cup is literally if if you can imagine a a cup, um, and this is your ability to withstand stress and to handle stress. So and and. Every individual stress, whether it be nutritional stress or physiological stress or emotional stress, each of these is, is a drop of water in this cup. And each drop by themselves is not, yeah, that's not too bad. It's, it's quite comfortable. You can, you can deal with that. But literally when you get all these individual drops of, of stress going up, you get to a point where then the, the cup overflows and literally the body can't handle anymore and that's when the body starts to break down. And I think, you know, add into all of this, well, certainly when I speak to women postnatally and when I prepare women for the postnatal period, I think one of the biggest things I talk about is sleep deprivation. And one of the things I'm always saying to women who are heavily pregnant is try and sleep now in the middle of the day because you're banking sleep that you will be so grateful for afterwards. Um, but, you know, that sleep should should really take the biggest priority um, when it comes to sort of what you need to do. You know, if you're tired, if you've been awake in the night, it doesn't matter if your house isn't clean. It doesn't matter if you haven't done the supermarket shop or, you know, that the, the washing's not on. You need to sleep. Yeah, definitely. Sleep's, sleep's a big thing. And when we look at sleep, we look at a thing called circadian rhythm. Uh, circadian rhythm is your natural sleep-wake cycle. So literally, this is controlled by, by daylight. So 
first in the morning, cortisol is released. So that you have a big spike of cortisol which goes up. And as, as the day goes on, the cortisol slowly releases off and comes down. And then in the evening time, that's when melatonin kicks in, which is more, it's been described as a sleep hormone. So literally, you know, nice pre-kids, always talk about pre-kids and post-kids. Pre-kids stay, you've got basically a nice relaxing sort of uh, flow of this cortisol release, comes down, melatonin kicks in. And melatonin kicks in to aid recovery. It helps you to sleep. It helps uh, from a cellular level, from a whole hormonal level. Basically, that's, that's a great sleep app. Then kids come along, and then literally they've got a mind of their own say, well, I want, I want to be fed this time of the night. And all of a sudden, this whole hormonal sort of sleep cycle just gets thrown out the window. So literally, you know, 2 o'clock feed, 11 o'clock feed, the body's saying, oh, I should be asleep now. But no, you're not. You're, you're wide awake. So, so what that does is affects cortisol levels. And so your cortisol levels, instead of coming down and melatonin kicking in, all of a sudden now you get little spikes of cortisol and it's like body's saying, well, hang on a minute, this is not my true recovery state. Um, if you're looking specifically at a uh, physiological recovery time, it's between about 10, 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And that's when the body's recovering from a physiological uh, point of view. Um, unfortunately, if someone's awake around that time, then that's, that's going to mess things up. Um, your psychological recovery is between about 2 o'clock and 6 a.m. Um, so that, that tends to, when you get a deeper sleep, you have more REM sleep, etc., going through the sleep, deeper sleep cycles, etc. But same again, if you're uh, waking up early, the baby's waking up early, that just throws it out. So that's why sometimes you might feel physically okay in the morning, but mentally just, just shocked, depending on what time of the night you, um, you tend to be waking up by, by a little one. And obviously your baby's routine is now your routine. You can't, you know, say, well, sorry, love, it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning, it's time to go to sleep. You know, babies need to be fed when they need to be fed. But what can parents of new babies do who are awake throughout the night do to help themselves with this, you know, sleep deprivation and also the discombobulation of the our normal sort of sleep cycle? No, definitely. Um, the big thing big thing to focus on is for the mums and dads is they probably have a very organised um, sleep routine for the baby and everyone's like organised, do this at a certain time, do this at a certain time. It's like, well, hang on. Do you have a sleep routine for your mum and dad? Basically, the parents need to have a sleep routine as well in terms of what's going on. One one big thing I um, talked about with uh, um, with your circadian rhythm is, is light. This light controls the circadian rhythm. So literally the light will wake up in the morning when the light dims down, literally um, you know, the darkness still controls and, and helps to release the melatonin. So for mums and dads, in the evening, get the, get the baby to bed, have you sleeping, etc. Now's not the time to be checking emails, to be on Instagram or scrolling through, to be exposing yourself to lots of light. So literally looking at quality of sleep rather than quantity of sleep. So... Have an evening routine, you know, no late night emails, no phones, etc. Um, trying to prioritize sleep in terms of getting more sleep. I'm not always saying more sleep, better quality of sleep. So instead of, you know, checking emails until 10 o'clock at night um, and then checking on your phone, especially especially the blue light from the phones, which which um, stimulates more cortisol production or suppresses, should say, melatonin. Um, just think about your sleep and how much sleep you're getting and the quality of sleep and also... Um, one big thing is resting. I'd probably uh, say to parents, take your phone, 
out of the bedroom. Um, a lot of mums and dads use their phone as an alarm clock. Uh, it's probably one of the worst things you can do because even just having that phone right next to you, I mean, the phone is, is these days, all the iPhones, etc. they're many computers, many computers. What that does is creates uh, electromagnetic radiation. If you're sleeping, you wouldn't sleep next to a big high-powered computer, but you're sleeping right next to a high-powered computer. So literally, the mums I've told this, taking the, room, uh, the phones out of the room and just got a normal basic alarm clock, their quality of sleep improves massively just by that simple thing. Um, other things they can do, any light in the room will, will also affect um, their sleep patterns. So any any electronic sort of stuff in the rooms, any TVs, if they have a TV in the room, that, that little um, red light, the standby light, that can actually still affect you. Um, some people are more sensitive than others and such for this, but literally anything like that can still interrupt your sleep pattern that you have. So it's just prioritizing, prioritizing sleep. Um, and, and I also, think sometimes you can have, like, if you've got your baby sleeping in your room with you, that's yeah. also another source of noise that's quite disruptive. Oh. And obviously, at the, one time, obviously, if your baby wakes up and needs you, you need to know about that. But very often, newborn babies are quite snuffly and sneezy. And I remember I, I just ended up not having my babies in the room right next to me. I'd have them a little bit further away where I could hear them, but I wouldn't hear little, every little snuffle because that would wake me up and I'd find it very difficult to get back to sleep. I'm someone who's very susceptible to noise so actually earplugs work really well because they drown out the kind of peripheral noise that I like someone walking down the street or someone with their radio on um but I can still hear what I need to hear yeah definitely I I think our daughter lasted maybe two weeks in our room together yeah. so just our, our personal thing we just um we could hear everything any little noises like anything and even having we moved into a room which is like a couple of meters away anyway. So she went moving to our room early. Everyone's got different opinions about this. Everyone's got different things they have to do. But um, we still had a, a baby monitor on. And went, hang on, man, we can still hear every single thing. <laughs> so um, our personal thing, we just went, right, okay, we need some sleep. Her door's open, our door's open. If she cries, we'll hear her. Yeah. And, yep, she cried, we heard her, and there's, there's no problems at all there. Um, but literally just, just going, right, let's try and make our sleep environment sleep environment you know it's just like you know no tvs in the bedroom i believe in no tvs in the bedroom anyway but literally just go well i mean everyone's got to work out what works for them as well there's there's no right or wrong sort of thing everyone don't run out there just now and if your baby's sleeping in the room that's fine but it's just got to work out something which works for you that means that you can get enough recovery in the evening time but also you know still look like after your baby and this and find that nice balance etc so it's just that's, that's always a tough one. Baby in the room, not in the room, in the bed, next to the bed, etc. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm no expert with that one. But literally, in terms of recovery, you do to sort of look at how much time, how much quality of sleep you're getting at night time and, and what's the effect is affecting this and say, well, is this affecting my sleep? Yes or no. Is this making me feel better about, not better about myself, better in terms of my recovery and waking up the next morning not dragging myself out of bed and feeling completely wiped out or is this making myself, you know, just completely wiped out instead. So this is, 
working out what's the best solution for you, which you as a as a couple, as an individual. A, yeah, that trial and error, try something. And if it works, it's pretty evident. And if it doesn't, then it's not. I mean, I often speak to women who are really dependent on quite a lot of caffeine during the day, because they are just so mm. tired that they feel that their caffeine is what they need to kind of keep them awake. But certainly what I know is that the half life of caffeine is actually quite long lasting. So if you have a lunchtime yeah. coffee, you're still going to be feeling the effects of that caffeine at 10 o'clock in the evening um, yeah. and obviously it's different we metabolize things also slightly differently so some people will have a lunchtime coffee and sleep really soundly and some people will have lunchtime coffee and literally not be buzzing until midnight but things like sort of trying well maybe I switch my lunchtime coffee to some decaf coffee let's see if that makes a difference or some herbal tea or you know I love an afternoon cup of tea but I find it does affect my sleep so I just switch to decaf tea and I don't even notice the difference apart from when it comes to sleeping no, definitely. I think I think with caffeine and, and sugar is a huge thing in the postnatal period. Um, I was calling this this phrase called survival eating. Um, in the postnatal period, mums and dads um, do this thing called survival eating where they're just reliant on caffeine, reliant on sugar to get themselves through the day. But the problem with this is um, it can add more stress to the body. And caffeine will still, in fact, inf- influence your cortisol levels, okay, don't get me wrong, cortisol is good, it's a great hormone, it's great for waking yourself up in the morning, getting a moving because it's essential for getting yourself moving. But literally, if you're just, just filling yourself up with caffeine, yes, caffeine has a, has a long long half-life, um, up to eight hours half-life, so 50% basically. So literally, it's going to be a while before the caffeine gets out of the system. As you say, if someone's very susceptible for, to caffeine, the effect it has on their body, it's going to just ramp them up even higher. So literally... Um, Instead of going for the big highs and lows of caffeine sort of thing or sugar, um, what you need to do is try to think, okay, well, how can I regulate my blood sugar levels and also um, look at things that I need, which are good for me. Um, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about nutrition because nutrition is, is um, hugely individual. If you go into a bookshop, you've got um, thousands of books, thousands of books, all written by some doctor or endorsed by a celebrity and all have a very compelling case for their their way of eating. And it's like, okay, great, that's quite work for one person, but it doesn't work for everyone. So literally the individual, especially postnatally, needs to sort of try and work out what foods work best for them in terms of what gives them more energy uh, and also what takes away from energy. So having caffeine and sugar sometimes might give them short-term energy but then afterwards, a couple of hours later, crash, crashing big time. Because especially, especially sugar, sugars, you, you get this initial sugar off, then basically then the body breaks it down, etc. And when you hit this big sugar low, what the brain does, the brain detects low sugar in the body. You know? So then it goes, release cortisol and other hormones to try and counteract this, this low sugar period. So that in itself, by having the sugars, especially when you get the sugar low, is, is stress on the body. So it's just... It's just doing things which um, becoming aware of what foods and what sort of uh, sorts of foods are good for your body and then have a big long-lasting effect in terms of energy-wise. It's always, I always thought of fuel as like bang for you. I mean, food is a kind of fuel. So you're thinking about, you know, using super fuels or using sort of bog standard fuel. Um, yeah. And this idea that, you know, you know, it is sort of performance enhancing if you eat well, relatively well. And I'm not saying 
never having a biscuit because actually food is is a joy eating is a joy I, I really really enjoy eating and if all I could eat was kind of kale that I didn't really like then that would sort of make me quite a lot de- more depressed so it's about finding what you like to eat that's also relatively good for you and I guess in moderation the kind of bad things that you might really like I mean like alcohol yeah no definitely it's, it's, it's find the balance I mean everyone talks about we have to cut out this and cut out that and don't eat this and don't eat that I'm the other end of the scale where let's let's find a plate and let's fill your plate with lots of good things that you enjoy eating as well. Um, and then if you fill yourself with all the good things, there's there's not much sort of space for all the all the, all the rubbish basically. Um, but the same thing from a psychological point of view. I mean, life would be pretty boring if you cut out biscuits or other things, you know, all the time. It's it's, it's find the balance which is right for you. Um, and just knowing that, well, okay, if I'm having this amount, this amount of food sort of thing, then I'm leaving myself lots of good, healthy options on my, on my plate that I can afford to have a few other things as well. Um, alcohol, we, we know alcohol is a, not a great effect on, on the sleep patterns, okay? But then for some people, it might help them just relax and go sleep better. So it's just there's, there's no right or wrong. I think what happens with a lot of people is they have too much of one thing or too much of another thing. And then that causes a big, a big stress response in the body from, you know, from a abdominal point of view, abdominal bloating point of view, or from a um, lethargy point of view, or just in terms of just that start of reliance as well. So you know, just end of the day, do you have to have a glass of wine? Does that become two glasses of wine, three glasses of wine, etc.? So, so I think also understanding food for yourself. I mean, I always say to people, look, keep a food diary. Get a food diary. I mean, that's another thing to do, which we don't want to overload this person. It's another, it's another issue. But if you keep a food diary, even just for a couple of weeks, and say, okay, when you eat a food, write it down, but also how does it make you feel straight afterwards? How does it make you feel a couple of hours afterwards? Does it make you feel better or does it make you feel worse? So what that does is empowers a person to say or the mum to say, okay, I'm, I know I'm good with these, these sorts of food. But these sorts of food and go, oh, maybe not so good, not so good. And maybe just then just go, well, okay, this food is better for me. Um, I need to have a few bit more of this and a bit less of the other stuff. So just, just finding what works best for the individual is, is the biggest thing on here. Because presumably digesting food that is hard to digest or processing mm-hmm. food that might have other effects like alcohol, like caffeine, like sugar, that is then the physical stress on the body. That's harder for the body to process than stuff that's good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there's still nutritional stress. And, and as I said before, there's um, one thing might work, might work for one person. And if, you're, if, you're, if you've got an intolerance for certain types of foods and you're basically eating it, your digestive system is, is um, sometimes being overloaded. Excuse <coughs> me. Um, so literally, it's going okay. This body is just making it harder for my body to, to digest, etc. One one thing we need to think about as well in terms of your autonomous nervous system. This is your automatic nervous system. This is basically one which happens automatically and it's responsible for, um, you know, heart rate, breathing, respiration. Um, it's got two different sides of it. It's got sympathetic, which is your fight or flight, and it's got parasympathetic, which is your more your, your whole calming effect. And digestion, the, the branch, the autonomous nervous system responsible for digestion is parasympathetic, which is when everything's nice and calm, it's all calming down, etc. So literally even what you're eating 
how you're eating it, um, and literally the time of time eating things and what and you know the process you're eating and doing. If you're doing a thousand other ones things while you're still eating, it's like okay, the body is not giving it best chance of digesting things. So certain things which may affect the digestive system will, will definitely cause more stress in the body. And if you're not eating in a, in a calm environment with a newborn baby screaming, you're trying to get a snack down. That's not exactly a, a um, you know a nice calm environment. But sometimes it's after the possible. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And actually, you know, if you think about it, a new mother is usually, well, quite often breastfeeding or partially breastfeeding. So there's the kind of added um, workload of producing milk. She's probably also awake many more hours than she usually is usually and also probably more physically active doing kind of repetitive sort of things. So you're, you know, as a new mother, you're asking a lot of your body, but if you're not putting the right things inside it to fuel it, you're not giving it the best chance. I guess it's a bit like doing a marathon in really ill-fitting trainers, you know, to give yourself the best chance of running that marathon, enjoying it and nailing it. You're going to get the, you know, really great fitting trainers that you've, you've worn in and they're, you know, right for your gait. You wouldn't think, oh, I'll just put on my old, you know, trainers from when I was at school and think you're going to nail that marathon. No, definitely. I think um, you, you know that there in terms of some marathon. I mean, having having a baby and the postnatal period is like a marathon. So I I trying to tell my mum to say, look, preparation is key. So literally, prepare your food. Um, if I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, you've got help. It's great. You can ask, ask friends for help, you know. Um, and sometimes it depends on the husband cooks or not. I'm, I'm the cook in our house, so I, my wife's quite lucky in that sense. But literally, cook some... Uh, Couple of different sort of strategies in terms of food preparation is make sure that you've you've got good food and good snacks available. You've got basic things in the in the fridge and the cupboard which are healthy, good for you, providing good amount of energy, good amount of fats, good amount of recovery sort of um, uh, nutrition for for the body. So I'd say literally before the baby comes along, for those mums listening right now who not haven't had the baby yet, use your freezer. Start to sort of fill your freezer up with frozen frozen goods, cook some nice home-cooked stuff and everything, and batch-cooked lots of these different things. So then when the baby first comes along, when you do get back from the hospital for that first time, literally it's not like, oh, I'm not organised with food. I need food in the house. I haven't got any food. Quick, let's get a delivery. Do, do all those things and just get, you know, make the most of all the home deliveries, make the most of, you know, freezers, make the most of friends. I mean, have, always have lots of friends ask, 
oh, what can I do? Can I do anything to help? I said, yeah, cook a meal. Cook a meal for me. Come around and deliver a meal. I'll cook a meal and put it in the freezer and things like that. So then they cook a meal and it's just like, well, that's, that's a preparation which you need for the body to, to keep you going, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever I uh, visit a new mum with a baby, I always bring food rather than something for the baby because the baby doesn't care about what baby grow it's wearing and little sweet no. hats are worn once or twice. But a lasagna, on the other hand, is amazing. <laughs> no, and, and, you know, I think you, even in that sort of, you know, in the build up to the birth, if you're cooking, you know, cook twice as much as you need and then stick a batch in the freezer. And actually, if you do that for a couple of weeks, you're going to have a really good sort of head start in terms of, you know, having stuff in the freezer that you can kind of heat up. Yeah, definitely. I think I think leftovers are key. Leftovers are key. If you're cooking one, a meal at night or at lunchtime, whatever, just cook a little bit too much, mm. a little bit too much. So literally, tonight's dinner makes tomorrow's lunch. Mm. That's just a really simple thing. You might, you might get sick of it after a while, but the same thing. But if it saves you another time the next day cooking something, I mean, time's a huge thing. Time's just like if everyone, if I had one person ask me the same question all the time, oh, I wish I had more time to do something. Mm. So literally doing things which is more time effective, just Google quick and easy recipes in 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, even things like, you know, it. roasting a chicken on a Monday and then basically you can have like a chicken wrap one day and a chicken pasta the other day and chicken in a salad the other day. The other thing I love are those great, you know, I love like um, quinoa and lentils, but they can often be a real faff to cook. You kind of, by the time you often eat, think about lunch, you want it now. You don't want to boil yep. the, veg- the, the, the lentils for 20 minutes, but actually you get those great little pouch vegetables that you can literally eat. They're, they're pre-cooked. They stick in your, school, uh, in your store cupboard and they last forever. And that is, I think, a brilliant way to kind of whip up a salad at lunch and have something that's a bit more substantial than you know and filling than just a salad no definitely there's, there's so many i mean so many different companies out there doing lots of quick sort of healthy meals and healthy sort of alternatives and everything so um interesting you talk about the cooking of a chicken chicken would be great i mean cook with chicken and you have a roast chicken but also then you could basically put all those to chicken carcass thing and make bone broth Bone broth in the postnatal period is, is amazing because of um, collagen. Collagen is super important for in terms of healing um, connective tissue. Okay, we know the linear elbow basically separates and thins, etc. Collagen is, is key in terms of rebuilding this. Uh, collagen and, and vitamin C together as well, really good. Vitamin C is great for collagen production. Um, so things like that. But yeah, the, the bone broth basically, the chicken, you have a sandwich, you have something else. I mean, it's like it's like being a Christmas all over again, but you got the turkey, um, and you got you got meal for a week from lots of different things from here for sure. And obviously, we're talking about you know mothers who need to be you know to have nutrient dense food because they're up and they're feeding. But the other thing that is I think quite difficult for new mothers is that they are often told, "Oh, you have the baby and you'll just lose all the weight." And in my experience, that just doesn't happen. I remember putting on weight when I was breastfeeding, partly because I was so ferociously hungry. But there's a sort of, you know, instinctive desire to eat, which actually makes total, you know, evolutionary sense in that your body is probably going to store a bit more fat while it knows that your baby is dependent on this fat for breastfeeding as opposed to kind of lose it. And then there's nothing in the larder in case you haven't been able to eat, but you still need to produce that milk. No, definitely. Um, so many of the mums, new mums come to me and they always want to talk about weight loss. It's like weight loss in the postnatal period, probably nutrition stuff is, is more important. And what I really say is like focus on your health first. 
Okay, focus on their health. Breastfeeding requires an extra 500 calories anyway just for breastfeeding. So literally, you're going to be burning off calories from, from just the simple act of breastfeeding. So, and just making sure you're getting enough nutrients and plus lots of different foods into you, etc. So it's just it's not not the time for weight loss. And people get so really caught up with oh, breastfeeding will you lose weight in breastfeeding. You might do, you might not. Some of my mums do, and some don't. So it's just like you will lose the weight again. But it's just a matter of you know this is a this is a pretty healthy time, a pretty important time, just to make sure you get yourself. Um, healthy and, and keep healthy and literally if you focus on your health first then literally weight, weight loss will come you know it's just and being really important is create really healthy eating patterns and in the personal period because those patterns will tend to stay with you when the baby's one two three etc so it's just like form some good habits and form some good eating habits and patterns of, of what you are eating and how much you're eating etc uh, once you stop breastfeeding, the hunger will subside as well. So hopefully, dip with you, Marina. But um, literally, it's more just keep things going and, and just just be nice, steady with things, and just go okay. Take your time, take your time, because it's, it's not a big rush. You know, it's just like your your baby took nine months to be conceived and made and, and born and everything else. But literally, just don't don't try and take two minutes to lose weight and everything else. Really. What's going on? Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, that you're saying that you know, focus on developing good eating habits because that's also what you'll pass on to your child. You know, if you're, you've got bad eating habits and uh, erratic eating habits that aren't necessarily great in the long term, that's what your child will see and see as normal. Whereas actually, if you can pass on good um, constructive eating habits to your child, I think that's one of the best things you can give them. But so thinking from a sort of a practical point of view, how how can we sort of are there any other things that we can do to reduce the stress on our bodies um yeah definitely i mean it's literally the big thing is is working on what's stressing the start with so if you make a big list get a big piece of paper and say right okay um just write down every single thing that's stressing you every single thing that's stressing out whether it be physical stress in the body, whether it be emotional stress, whether it be someone just annoying you sort of thing, um, any of these things, and say, okay, make a huge list. Next to that list, say, what things are within my control? What things do I have control over? What things do I have the power to do? Um, there's a famous saying, I think it's by Byron Katie, she said, you can't, you can't control other people's actions, you can only control your reaction to those actions. So literally, um, you know, a lot of... Calming down sort of time is, is quite important. Trying to find some me time with it, trying to think about some different things we, we can do. One, one big thing is, is, is breathing. Um, if we look at someone's breathing patterns in terms of how they breathe, a lot of people tend to breathe what's called an inverted breathing pattern. Okay, So literally when they, when they take a breath in, uh, what they can do is literally they're raising the shoulders when they're breathing. So big thing by the start of the top and the breathing is how are you breathing? Look in the mirror. Just look in the mirror one time. Say, okay, watch when you're breathing. Are you tensing your shoulders up? Do your shoulders raise up? Do you lift your chest up, etc.? Okay. Um, so it's literally going, how can I, how can I change this? Um, that's why there's a yoga technique, which is more diaphragmatic breathing. So you're more breathing through your belly. Pilates talk about more lateral breathing through the sides, the ribcage. So all these techniques will, will just calm things down. The reason the body gets stressed when you're breathing like this is um, the muscles called scalenes in the neck. And literally every time you take a breath in, you're using this inverted breathing pattern. 
you're tensing up these muscles and you're using these muscles to lift up the diaphragm, lift up the ribcage. And what that does is the scalenes are linked to your adrenal glands, which basically you get a little bit short of adrenaline every time we do that. So, so some start start at the top, start with a breathing pattern and sort of then then, then just be aware of that. That's, that's probably one of the most important things you can do in terms of calming things down. Because if you're you've got this inverted breathing pattern and every time you take a breath in, you're getting a little shot of adrenaline on top of a you know a, a crying baby or something else going on, literally you've got lots of lots of stress constantly throughout the day. So the big thing one of the big things is, is is breathing, is breathing. And you could take, get the baby to bed and just take, before you go to sleep, just focus on just a couple of minutes of, one, slowing breathing down, two, practice, practice this yoga breathing or diaphragmatic breathing and just going, just calming the body and put it in a nice calm state. That's It's amazing the difference that that sort of thing can make just to start with, basically, because most people tend to, yeah, stress out with the breathing and breathe quite fast. And just by slowing your breathing down, by taking slower breaths in, controlling breath out, is you tend to just tap into that parasympathetic nervous system, which tends to just calm the body down a bit more. And it's such a useful thing to be able to control. Like if through your breathing you can control your stress levels, what an mm. amazing skill to have kind of going forward. Takes practice. <laughs> Takes a lot of practice. But literally, that's... That's probably in terms of the top of the chain. That's the top of the chain in terms of the big thing you can do. Um, I, I like to, if a lot of my mums have got postural sort of problems from breastfeeding, bent over and controlled either in um, different chairs or different sorts of things, and they they in this constantly bent over position from cuddling the baby, from holding the baby, from trying to get the baby to sleep. So literally, if you've got a foam roller, most people have a foam roller. If not, lying on the floor lengthways in this, opening the whole chest out, combine that with some nice relaxing um, diaphragmatic breathing and slowing things down. What it does is physically opens the chest out, stops the chest and shoulders being so tight, it changes that thoracic curvature, which then tend to take the pressure out of the neck and shoulders anyway. Then by slowing the breathing down, you just get a nice sort of calm, relaxed state. And that, before you go to bed doing that, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And actually, you know, for those listening who don't have a foam roller, it's what ten pounds from Amazon. I think. Yeah. I mean, ten pounds or or just lie on the floor, Mm. lie on the floor, basically, or grab a towel, roll a towel up, so you got some sort of um, something along there, which is long. We can do rely lengthways along your spine, and that's that's just it's quite nice. It's just quite nice to open the body up, open the body up. And actually, I think I see that so often with new mums is that you know, physical pain after giving birth. After each of my babies, I had mm. chronic back pain. It was basically, you know, as far as I could tell, um, because I'd lost my core strength. But being exhausted, being overwhelmed, having not enough hours in the day to do anything, and then having intense chronic back pain on top of that, which meant that it was difficult to lift my children up, was sort of almost the straw that broke the camel's back. It's quite common for women to injure themselves in that postnatal period, isn't it, or to have injuries? Yeah, definitely. Um, physical stress in the body is, is a huge one. If you're in pain, pain's, pain's yeah, debilitating. And it's exhausting. Um, 
Pain is tiring. Pain is tiring. Pain is tiring. Noise is tiring. Lots of things are tiring. Lack of sleep is tiring. <laughs> New baby is tiring. But, but literally, in the, in the physical state, if, um, everyone's got a different, everyone's physically different in their structure. Um, everyone has a different pregnancy. Everyone has a different labor. And everyone's recovery postnatally is different. So, literally, if you've had any trauma through birth, if you've had any pain throughout the pregnancy, see someone, see a, a women's health uh, physiotherapist, a women's health osteopath, see someone who's specialised in this in their some area. If you're in pain, pain's what's classified as, as a clinical issue, so it needs to be sorted out. It won't, potentially won't go away by itself. It could even just get worse. So literally get some help, get some help. It's literally there's help out there. There's so much help out there. There's more help now than ever. Um, could be more, could be more, but literally there's, there's options. But it's so frustrating that for new mums, they're at the bottom of the list of priorities. It's more important that the baby has what they need and that the house is tidy and that the dinner party is had. And you know, very often a woman is in serious pain and has been for a while and just doesn't go and see anyone about it. Um, so I do think, you know, the pain is is basically the body's way of saying do something, something needs to be done. So you're doing something wrong. And if you're ignoring that signal, you're ignoring your body's plea for help, essentially. Yeah, no, definitely. I think sometimes the pain has got to become great enough to find a solution. So sometimes it's just a lot of pain, etc., but it's not painful enough to give a solution. I've had um, new mums come to me. Six months down the trap, and so I'm just I'm still in lots of pain. So how long has it been going on for? Oh, since since birth. <laughs> it's like, wow, you have six months of constant pain, and I wonder why they're completely exhausted and they're not doing anything. But I said, who have you seen? I said, oh, no one. So right, first thing, women's health physiotherapist, go sort this out, get diagnosed, and see what's going on, sort this out first of all, and just just start putting yourself last on this because it's literally, if you're looking after a young baby. You need to, you know, you need to be an athlete for the, doing the marathon. If you're going to into a marathon with an with an ache or pain, by the end of it, you're going to be knackered. <laughs> you're just going to be in pieces. So, same sort of thing. If you're going trying to look after a baby and you're in constant pain, if you're breastfeeding and your shoulders and neck and everything are so tight from the position in, think about maybe change of position. Think about the chair you're sitting in. Think about that. I mean, I I'm sort of. A, quite a sort of super fit personal trainer, et cetera, and, and specialise in this. But literally, when my daughter was born, we didn't have a change table. Oh, didn't need one. It's fine. Just use our bed. I blew my back out in the first couple of weeks. I put my back out where I couldn't even move um, and thought, oh, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. But literally, having a change table just change everything. Look at, you know, how you're changing the change table, the cots, the feeding position. All of these things can make a difference from a physical point of view. And if you're if you're putting yourself in constant positions of pain in terms of physically, um, it's, it's just going to not get any better. Um, the baby only gets heavier, but it doesn't get lighter. So it gets heavier and then mobile, and then you might well be pregnant again. Uh, I always say to women, <laughs> like this is your Olympics. This is the time you have to be fitter than ever before so it's so worth taking the time to invest a that you know you're pain-free and healthy but b that 
you are actually fit. I mean, starting to exercise again, you know, obviously not in the first six weeks, but thereafter, I think is such a crucial thing, not only physically, but also emotionally. I mean, we know that regular exercise is as effective as um, a low dose of antidepressants. So even though you might well not feel like waking up and going for a run around the park or going to do a HIIT class, often if you're a bit overwhelmed and a bit blue, as many new mothers are, that is the best thing that you can possibly do. Yeah, there's, there's, there's huge links between physical exercise and mental health. Mm. Um, the big thing is what sort of starting point are you, um, are you going to do with exercise? In this, in this case, I've had so many people who've um, done six weeks, I mean, oh, try going back to running. It's like running six weeks post C-section this was. And wonder why I'm massively in pain. She came to me in pain and said, Oh, you know, I said someone told me that I could basically do this and said, Well, six weeks, that's all you need. It's like, no, six weeks is just recovery time. Give the body a chance. Saying that in the fix for six weeks, you may see a women's health physiotherapist, a physiotherapist, you may see a specialist on osteopath, sort of just to check everything out, make sure things are okay, and then get some basic pelvic floor sort of activation and start to wake the body up. Um, Six weeks is not like, oh, six weeks and go back and do anything. Six weeks is just the beginning of getting yourself strong again. Um, you know, your body's gone through massive changes over nine months. Um, so literally, and then depending on the labour, as I mentioned before, so depending on what your body's been through, it's like, okay, give yourself some recovery time, take your time, but, but see, if it, see, a, you know, see a specialist, go invest the money, invest the time, see a specialist and say, right, what's right for my body? Because... As I said, there's no one size fits all in terms of exercise, nutrition. So, like, okay, what has the body? What, what's right for it now? Because exercise is still stress. Exercise is still stress you're putting on the body. The body simply adapts to that stress for it to get stronger. If you're putting the wrong, wrong sort of stress in your body, then all it's going to do is, is potentially break. Okay, so as, as I said, it's not hit class time. It's not basically just um, get back to the skinny jeans time. It's like, okay, just start the rebuilding process, but literally then now you've got a good progression of going from here to here to here without skin the language buggering things up. You just, you just want to mess things up with it. You just want to basically um, do things properly. So it's like, okay, is, is this stress making my body feel good? Is this form of exercise making my body feel good? Is it making it feel worse? If it's making it feel worse, then stop doing it. Stop doing it. And then literally just get some help. Get some help. There's, there's help out there. Definitely and I guess also that realization that whatever you might be being told on Instagram, there is no shortcut to building your strength up again. There is no special corset you can buy. There is no special app you can get. There is no special gadget you can invest in that is going to speed up this process. It is purely little and often and patiently and listening to your body, I guess. Yeah, and probably turning off Instagram. <laughs> no offense to all the Instagrammers out there, but literally, there's there's a lot of stuff on there, a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, I think and, with all social media, I mean, I'm a big fan of Instagram if, as long as you know how to curate it. And actually, as a new mother mm-hmm. who's rea- realistically quite bored, to be able to kind of, you know, look at lovely interior shots, if that's what makes you happy, then great. But certainly switching off or muting anyone who's making you feel you know, uncomfortable or, you know, not enough or inadequate in any way. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pressure from social media. There's a lot of pressure for the, the term bouncing back. It's like 
look, I'm running, you know, three weeks after my after my baby. I'm, I'm doing this, you know, four weeks after my my baby. I've seen some some celebs with millions of followers posting hastily, posting this exercise, and went, "There's there's no way that one they should be doing it. There's no way that their followers should be doing it in this, in this time." So I think the filter system um, is pretty important, knowing what to filter out. If you're looking at getting enjoyment from looking at different things and different things you enjoy and like to follow, fine. But if you're looking at um, specific uh, postnatal exercise and recovery, then that's not the time to be looking at Instagram. No, it's probably the time to be getting specific help, um, which looks at you sort of individually. And that might be as part of a class, but also just thinking uh, you need you need a bit of individual sort of support there. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, Lyndon, it's been great chatting to you. I think this is something that people rarely think about. They're so focused on getting their baby out that they don't think about that sort of postnatal period. And then when the babies are born, it's so focused on the baby rather than the mother. But, you know, I do believe that mothers are the, uh, like, the linchpin, the, the RSJs of family life. And actually, if, if we're broken, the kind of the whole family is broken and that's what's really important for for new mums to realize it is so worth investing in yourself for the happiness and the well-being of your entire family yeah definitely i think um <clears throat> i think if if the body's broken if it's um broken physically or emotionally sort of thing that's it's hard it's really hard it's literally i think that's when supporting um I think supporting mums is, is pretty huge. It's a huge sort of importance out there. Um, will it be friends supporting other mums, husbands supporting mums, family, etc.? Just having that support network is is, is key. Is key. They, the old saying: it takes a village to raise raise a baby, but sometimes it takes a whole country, um, depending on what the mum's going through. So it's basically just like, okay. And for anyone, any friends out there with new new you know mums, new mums, such just their thing, just see what help they need because sometimes new mums don't really help um, ask for help but there's this help out there for sure perfect well Lyndon thanks so much for joining me today it's great to have this conversation uh, where can they find out a bit more about what you do um just probably from my website uh, yummytummies.co.uk so um, I'm national there so any, any information if you want to contact me directly just I'm there just shoot me a message if you want any advice or anything just um yeah, contact me through my website and just um, any questions we've got from, you know, the information we put today or anything they need help, just, yeah, just reach out. Perfect. Well, Lyndon, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me. I'm on Instagram at marina.fogel. I promise you I'm not running around telling women to exercise before or anywhere near sex six weeks. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, from Lyndon and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.